because of keeping kids out of school for a year, that decreases their life expectancy. And uh, uh, he, he estimated it decreased their life expectancy by like five or six months, which seems kind of high to me, but, uh, but certainly decreased their life expectancy by something. And if it decreased their life expectancy by even a day, that would exceed the, the, the person years of life saved uh, and prevented COVID deaths. Hi everyone, before we start, I wanted to take a minute to talk about my next book. You may have heard about the story of GameStop in January or February and thought it was all over. You're sadly mistaken. Unfolding Online has been a clash between the corrupt practices of Wall Street and the hive mind of the internet. It's a hot, raging information war pitting retail investors against financial giants swimming in corruption and fraud. The trailer is at the end of this podcast, but if you want to help crowdfund the book or just find out more, you can sign up to my mailing list to get access to a preview of chapter one or go to whenmoon.com to read more about the book. The first 200 people to pre-order the book will get a free pack of To The Moon crayons with their book. I just want to make a quick mention of our sponsors. Namecheap are one of the cheapest places on the internet to get a domain name for your next website. I've used Namecheap for all the sites I've ever purchased and I find it really easy to use. Spreaker are a rapidly growing platform for podcast recording, publishing and monetization with pricing plans as low as $7 per month. A cheap way to host your podcast and start earning from your back catalogue of shows. Finally, ExpressVPN is the internet's most trusted VPN. Protect your privacy and watch and view content that is location locked. You can even try watching Netflix from a different country. And right now, they're offering 35% off 12 months of ExpressVPN. Please use the links in the description below if you want to support the show. Anyway, here's the podcast. Hello and welcome to another episode of Chatter. Today, I am here with Dr. Hugh McTavish. He's the founder and executive director of COVID Sanity. He's a PhD biochemist and immunologist and a patent attorney as well and the authored referee of 18 scientific journal articles and the inventor of 21 patents. Wow, you wear a lot of hats. Yeah, you have too much education. Uh, yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, that's always good if you're, if, you're trying to, if you're trying to talk about things that are cross-disciplinary. Um, sometimes you need someone who has, um, you know, had their hand in many different fields in order to see like larger patterns or, or ways that different fields could be useful to a different one that you have to be knowledgeable in both in order to, you know, see things. It's, it's, it's definitely not a bad thing. <laughs> yeah, I think that's right. I think, uh, yeah, it's, um, uh, I'm a bit of a generalist, I'd say, as a scientist, perhaps more than most scientists. And it's, uh, it's definitely good to have some knowledge of other fields for kind of cross-fertilization and also just to not necessarily yourself, but to talk to people in other fields. And that, I think that generates a lot of new scientific ideas and ideas in general. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, so why don't you give us um, a little bit of idea of, of your background beyond my sort of short intro there, so people know more about who you are and where you're coming from? Um, I think one, so, so that shows that I'm a scientist. I think another uh, interesting um, or relevant aspect of, of my background is I'm a liberal and a Democrat, uh, which is 
unusual, I guess, in the States uh, of uh, supposedly, at least, at least among po elected politicians, very unusual. The only ones who speak out against the lockdowns. I'm anti-lockdown, but a liberal and a Democrat. That's unusual. The only politicians here who speak out against the lockdowns at all are Republicans. Um, uh, I'm, in fact, I'm really not aware of a single elected Democrat in the United States who's spoken out against the lockdowns at all. Um, uh, I so, so I think that's relevant. Um, I um, uh, also started two pharmaceutical companies, um, which, hey, I'll put a plug out for those. So uh, <laughs> uh, we're raising investment money for one with a drug that prevents uh, cold sores and oral and genital herpes. It boosts the immune response to that. And we're raising money on a, on a site called wefunder.com. Uh, the name of the company is SquareX. So if uh, anybody might be interested in investing in that, I think it's a great, uh, great business proposition, huge, huge market opportunity and, uh, um, and good business proposition. But I'm here to talk about COVID. <laughs> yes. Um, so you have just released a book. Um, why did you decide to write it? So the book's called um, COVID Lockdown Insanity, the, the COVID deaths uh, it prevented, the depression and suicide it caused what we should have done and what it shows we could do now to address uh, real crises. So why, why did you choose to write the book? Uh, I, from the very beginning, I thought the lockdown approach was a mistake. Uh, and I was very surprised that we did this. I did not, I did not anticipate that in the U S or anywhere else in the world, really, we would do, um, we would uh, order people to stay at home <laughs> for the most extreme thing, close the schools uh, all of these extreme things in response to a virus that from the beginning, I thought it's bad-ish. It's not that terrible. Uh, um, it's basically a bad strain of the flu. Um, uh, so the whole thing was a surprise to me, and I opposed it from the beginning. And for a moment, uh, I doubted my position. I thought, well, once, once it was clear the world was going into lockdown, I was thinking basically, uh, what are the odds that I'm right? And virtually every other, every health department and, and seemingly every other expert in the world is wrong. Uh, but, um, uh, but it turns out I was right. And turns out also I was not the only expert who was, uh, who was, uh, had that opinion, but there was a, a censorship really going on that, um, uh, they were not allowed to be heard and, and I was not allowed to be heard. Hmm. Now for, for people listening, the, the, the basic sort of premise that the, before anyone gets runs away and thinks that we're being callous or wanting to kill people's grandparents, uh, the, the main point, I guess, that you're trying to make, um, and correct me if I'm, if I'm interpreting this wrong, is that the, the lockdowns themselves, um, whilst they may have saved and prevented some lives, um, from, you know, stopping the spread or, or of, of the virus in some way that the, the cost in, ter in, in terms of uh, suicides, damage to children's development, people's mental health, um, you know, other um, diseases going undiagnosed, untreated, um, and the sort of complete gearing of everything towards COVID is, is producing a much higher cost. And that's the, the reason that you felt it was uh, a really bad idea. Yes, that's exactly the premise. I'm not saying COVID was not uh, bad. It, it was bad. Um, it's not as bad as the press has made it out to be. Um, but it's certainly worse than, than an ordinary flu. Uh, 
um, and has killed um, a lot of people, 600,000 in the U.S. I, um, uh, some people believe those numbers are inflated and uh, the there's, I think there, they may be a little bit, but that's not really my point. I, I, I accept those numbers, um, uh, which is, uh, let's see, 600,000 would be about two in a thousand um, people in the United States. Um, uh, but the costs um, are, the, the harms just vastly exceed the benefits. When you look into how much this has increased depression, uh, my major biggest point, the biggest catastrophe is clinical depression. It's absolutely staggering. But also uh, suicides and drug overdose deaths. Um, and those people, those suicide, the suicides and drug overdose deaths were causing, those are far younger people than people dying of COVID. So it's far more person years of life lost, uh, far more years of life lost per person. And when you multiply it, the number of persons, it's, it's more significantly more person years of life lost from the suicides and drug overdose deaths we're causing. Um, uh, yes, and and we the, the the children. What we've done to children and closed their schools uh, is just. Um, I have big moral problems with that, and I can't understand how that. Ha there hasn't been more debate about that. Um, uh, so we can we can go into all that. But on the on the children, they're they're at lower risk of dying from COVID. COVID is much less deadly for children, for anyone under age 18 than, than influenza is. So closing the schools was done, um, uh, had the effect of harming children. It has no benefit at all to the children. So we decided to sacrifice the interests of children for the interests of their grandparents and great-grandparents. I, I just think that's nuts. I, I don't, and there's hardly been any discussion of that, hardly been any acknowledgement that that's what we did, but that's what we did. Yeah, I mean, there was uh, some, I feel the, part of the problem is some people have put it clumsily when they've been, been when they've been talking about this. So uh, there was a, a person who in, in the UK called Lord Sumption, um, he's a ex, ex um, judge from the UK and like really highly regarded. And he was basically talking about um, the effect of the lockdowns um, on years of life lost and, and the fact that, you know, in, in days gone by, it was kind of understood that, or his, his opinion was it was understood that we value children's lives above the, 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 the lives of, of parents and grandparents because, you know, they had the most potential. They were the ones that, that yeah, that those are the people whose, whose lives we value more because of the potential. Like if a child dies, you feel worse than than if a, an adult dies because you, you know you see all that that all those years of potential living gone yeah, um, yeah. and and he he was he was kind of dismissed as as being callous but on the on the grounds that you know we should we should value every life and that you know if we let the children get covid that they might get long covid or they might inadvertently spread it to to grandparents or or other people who were more vulnerable what would be your response to people who who kind of make that that assertion uh well first they're wrong uh factually and scientifically about that there was any benefit to closing schools it did not prevent any deaths at all actually uh and we how knew do you that. come to that how do you come to that 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 like figure so what calculation are you making there 
Well, I actually come to that the conclusion that there that the whole lockdown strategy entirely didn't prevent any COVID deaths at all because there's no correlation of the strength of lockdown strategy to number of deaths between nations of the world or between states of the United States. Um, it's a total scattershot. Uh, Sweden, for instance, did not, is the one major country that did not do the lockdown strategy. They've got fewer deaths per capita, COVID deaths per capita, than the United States, Britain, France, Italy, Spain, and Switzerland. More, more than Germany, but fewer than all those other countries. Um, so, uh, and when you go beyond that, the, the whole strategy didn't, uh, as I said, there's no correlation of the strength of lockdowns with number of COVID deaths. Uh, but with children also, um, we now know that uh, asymptomatic people do not, essentially do not transmit uh, COVID. Uh, that's not acknowledged by the public health authorities, but that's what the data says. They, they may in rare cases, but the transmission rate from asymptomatic infected people with COVID is certainly less than 10%, if not zero, uh, compare of the rate from people who are symptomatic. Uh, and children are usually asymptomatic uh, entirely. Uh, the studies of from early on, uh, there were a few studies in, of schools um, that uh, there was a study came out of France, one in Australia, one in Sweden of just kind of an anecdotes basically of, of a, a particular town that closed their schools or didn't close their schools in comparison and showing no apparent effect on COVID death. COVID deaths. One, one um, town in France where uh, before they knew COVID was there, the schools were open and the, the children, there were, um, there were like a dozen children known to be infected in that school. Not a single adult became infected from that. Uh, no, no teachers, no, no other um, adults did. In Sweden, Sweden did not uh, did not close their schools in the spring of 2020. Uh, the neighboring um, nation of Norway did. Uh, there was no there were no deaths of children in either country uh, from COVID. Um, there were the number of cases in children did not differ between the two countries. The overall uh, infection rate. Um, and the, the infection rate of teachers did not differ between the two countries. And teachers are not a, are not a high risk group in places in, in, the, um, in Sweden or places where schools were opened. Uh, they're not infected at any higher rate than any other group in society, uh, which is different from it was reasonable to believe at the beginning that, that schools might closing schools might cut down the spread because. Uh, children are big spreaders of the common cold and influenza, but COVID just uh, happens to behave differently. And we knew that. We knew it was behaving differently by the summer of 2020. So to me, it was it's just scandalous that anybody closed schools in the fall of 2020 and beyond. Uh, there was no reason to do that. Mm. Now, one of the things we've actually seen throughout this whole pandemic is um, there's been there's been criticism of of public health bodies like the the FDA or the CDC or um, in the UK um, Public Health England that the their advice as such or their rules that they've put out has has lagged quite significantly behind the data that's being shown and obviously there's room for for some sort of lag in that as you know things get verified and different theories get debated but 
when we're talking about, for example, the, the, the spread of COVID with um, asymptomatic people or, or how it spreads through aerosols as opposed to droplets, um, and therefore the, 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 the efficacy of masks, there's, there's been a lot of issues upon which the, the initial sort of rules or statements were made and set and the policy was there. And then it has not been reviewed as such or updated based on, on data that, that appears to be coming forward. And um, why do you think we've got that sort of entrenched view? Because it's not, it's not an outrageous thing for them to say, Hey, we've got more data. We know more about this now. We're going to change the rules to suit that. Like, why do you think there has been unwillingness to do that? Boy, I don't know. Um, it is kind of mystery. And to, to me, they've just ignored the data. Uh, it does didn't fit their preconceived notions. Um, and to a large extent, frankly, lied about the data. Uh, in the U.S., I guess the biggest turnaround was the authorities were saying, don't wear masks. It doesn't accomplish anything. You're just denying the mask from the healthcare workers in the spring of 2020. And then they did a 180 degree turn and said, everybody should wear masks all the time. Uh, and it's the biggest thing to, to, to prevent the spread of COVID. And they had no new data when they changed that position. They just made a political choice to change their, that position. And then we've gotten data on masks. The, the a clinical trial in Denmark, where they had 3,000 people wearing masks and 3,000 people not early in the, in the pandemic. And there was no, when the rest of the society was not wearing masks at the time, uh, and there was no difference, no significant difference in infection rate between the two groups. The, the people wearing masks were 15% less likely to be infected. Uh, that was not statistically significant. Um, and the data, the, the Cochrane reviews, I cite, I cite Cochrane reviews in my book. Cochrane reviews is, I believe, essentially the, um, the judges of evidence-based medicine. So they publish reviews in various fields uh, of medicine on what works and what doesn't work and what the evidence is for medical interventions. And every year they publish a review on physical interventions to reduce the spread of, of respiratory diseases, of colds, flu, and specifically COVID this year it included. And their review concluded uh, that masks make no difference or a little difference in the spread of respiratory disease and COVID. So that's, and the, the, you know, they cite the studies for that, and that's, that is the reality. Uh, I've, I've looked at the studies also, and that's my conclusion. It's, it's either no difference or a little difference. And this clinical trial in Denmark was the best data we've got, and that says no significant difference. But that, that didn't affect the, um, uh, the recommendations of the World Health Organization or the CDC, um, uh, the World Health Organization, I think, has been better than the U.S. CDC. I don't know about Health, uh, health England, Public health England uh, yeah. but uh, they haven't pushed masks as strongly, but they do recommend masks. Um, uh, I don't think there's a basis for, for doing that. But the whole evidence, it's, it's just bizarre. It's, um, uh, it's not based on evidence. It's not science. They say we're following the science and they're doing anything, anything but follow the science. Uh, my state of Minnesota, the governor at one point um, 
ordered closing of uh, restaurants and bars after 10 p.m. And he said, we have data that most transmission is happening after 10 p.m. in restaurants and bars. That's absurd. You couldn't possibly have that data because we don't even know. You don't know in most cases. The only time you have a pretty good idea of one person infected is another is if they're living in the same house and then and they both get infected. You think probably you were you were infected by your housemate. Uh, other than that, you have no idea who infects what, who, much less what time of day they were infected. <laughs> uh, so that was absurd. And of course, they didn't produce the data. It claimed they had the data, but they didn't produce any data because uh, it didn't exist. Um, so yeah, just the the whole process. It's not the scientific process. It's they 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 make these conclusions, but they don't cite any data for their their conclusions. And if you um, if you question it, you're labeled anti-science. When in fact you're pro-science. That's the process of science: is to look at data and debate issues. Yeah, I mean it's it's and the the reason that a lot of people could say you know, you're just rehashing this thing, you know, just it's happened, it's over, you know, we're basically at the end, yeah. hopefully, maybe, but, you know, why why are you dwelling on this? You know, we're, we're past it. Um, why do you think it's so crucial that we learn from this, essentially, or we, we deal with the mistakes that we've made? Um, you know, they say we're going to have another uh another pandemic um that's uh so i don't want this to ever happen again um and we should be able to we should be able to rationally discuss public policy and rationally discuss the evidence for and against certain interventions and quantify them when we can and that's that's what i do in my book um uh covid lockdown insanity uh the um, uh, the main point the main point I, I make there is about the depression. I think that's that's the worst worst aspect. So I consider depression to be lost time of life, uh, which I think is reasonable. So in other words, spending a year in depression is roughly equivalent to dying a year earlier. It's it's just a wasted year of your life. Um, uh, the number of people I estimate, I estimate um, that, well, in the U.S. we had 600,000 people die. I think if we had had uh, from COVID, if we'd had another 400,000 people die, the infection fatality rate I calculated is 0.46% in the spring wave. If we'd gotten to a million um, or another 400,000 deaths, that would have been herd immunity. So the most that's possible the lockdowns prevented is, is 400,000 COVID deaths. And I think a generous estimate would be 200,000 COVID deaths in the United States. Um, in reality, I don't think the lockdowns prevented any COVID deaths at all. But let's say they prevented 200,000 COVID deaths, which would be a huge number, obviously. But it's elderly people on the most, uh, for the most part. I calculate an average life expectancy lost for each COVID death of four years. Uh, and most people dying of COVID actually have less than, it's, it's clear that most people dying actually have less than one year of life remaining uh, had they not contracted COVID. Uh, so 200,000 people times four years is 800,000 person years of life. We, the depression rate in the United, in the United States went from 8% to over 27%. We, we threw almost one in five Americans into major depression. Our leaders decided, they decided it was worth it to throw 63 million 
people in the United States into major depression, one in five U.S. citizens into major clinical depression, in order to try to slow the spread of this disease. So I think it's very relevant to ask, is that worth it? Is those our values? So that works out to 316 people thrown into major depression for every one COVID death prevented if we save 200,000 COVID deaths. And I don't think we did save 200,000 COVID deaths. And time of life loss, the average depression episode lasts for five months. It works out to 30 times the person years of life lost to depression versus the person years of life saved in preventing 200,000 COVID deaths. So, you know, would it be worth it to you to spend 30 years of your life in major depression in order to live one year longer? Of course not. Nobody, nobody has, you know, if you value happiness and quality of life at all, then the lockdowns were a mistake. You, you have to acknowledge lockdowns were a mistake. And then we look, we could look at suicides and drug overdose deaths. Uh, those are also costing more person years of life than the COVID deaths prevented. Um, uh, plus, we threw 350 kids out of school for every one COVID death prevented if we saved 200,000 lives. Uh, plus, we threw 127 people out of work. Uh, it's... Um, you look at the numbers, you look at the data, nobody could say this was worth it. It's, it, was a, it was a catastrophe. It's the worst, worst public policy since, you know, you, you almost have to look at genocides to, to find a public policy, if you consider genocides to be a word, public policy, to find a public policy that was worth yeah, that's that's a really stunning level of 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 yeah problems you're citing there. So, when you're saying it's one in five um, people you've thrown into depression, that doesn't include the people that were already depressed and things got. That's worse. the increase. That's the increase. We went from eight percent of the U.S. population depressed to twenty-seven percent, a little more than twenty-seven, almost a twenty percent increase. It threw the lockdowns threw almost twenty percent of the U.S. population into depression. I assume it's similar, maybe worse in Britain because your lockdowns were a little stricter than ours for the most part. Yeah, I mean, I guess it depends where you were. Um, it's and and also on on that, like if you're counting depression or a year of depression as a year of life lost, you're not really taking, you're not really even considering the fact that. Being the depression, like if you're really depressed, you're, you're probably not looking after yourself that well. You're probably not in the best frame of mind, and that's not healthy in in like a long term. You're not you're not looking after yourself the best. So you maybe ended up losing years of your life in the future due to the fact that yeah, you probably you know, are. You're right. I I don't know what the statistics are, and I just I just read a um a book by a Swedish physician on the lockdowns. It was published early in the lockdowns, and he actually estimates, I hadn't thought of this, but he estimates that because of keeping kids out of school for a year, that decreases their life expectancy. And uh, uh, he's, he estimated it decreased their life expectancy by like five or six months, which seems kind of high to me, but, uh, but certainly decreased their life expectancy by something. And if it decreased their life expectancy by even a day, that would exceed the, the, the person years of life saved uh, and prevented COVID deaths. I mean, the, it's oh, that's stunning as well to think about. Is that because they're, he's assuming that they didn't either get the education, the development, the learning, the growth? Um, uh, he didn't really explain didn't. it. I assume, um, I assume it's kind of a statistical thing that people with less 
schooling have a shorter have shorter lifespans than people with more schooling, which would have to do with lots of things, most mostly probably income. More schooling is going to lead to more income, and people with higher income live live longer than people with shorter income. Mm. Um, in this case, I would I suppose you could question whether it would decrease their income in the sense that. Every all of their classmates also were kept out of school, so every the, it's a lower lower playing field, but everybody's still on the same playing field. Mm. But I don't know. Yeah, yeah, that's concerning. Like, and so where are you? Where are you finding these these figures? Like, where are you going to for your sources? Because I'm going to uh, exclusively, really, refereed journal articles, the best quality I can find, and government, U.S. government, U.S. and and world government statistics uh, for COVID deaths. I use Worldometer, um, which is a website that's daily updating COVID deaths. That's another thing that got, that 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 uh, I mentioned in my book, and that that galls me is is we're told literally every day how many people died of COVID the previous day. We haven't even been told for maybe we've been told by two for 2019 by now. Certainly not 2020. How many people died from suicide or drug overdose in the United States? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. and we're increasing the suicide and drug overdose deaths, and they could they could accumulate those every day. Too, if they cared about him, if they wanted to. Yeah, I mean, and and the the, the horrifying thing is that the, the media have been happily playing this up. I mean, I saw um, one of the the undercover uh, videos of of Jess Sucker, um, I think it was from from CNN, um, talking about how they they took it, they took the death count away, and then they were worrying that you know they they weren't amping up the fear enough to keep people glued to it and then they put oh, it back yeah. up like there were there was a, a time where they'd taken it away and then they decided to put it back because you know they they needed something to to hook people on and and that's that's a, just another horrifying side of this is the fact the media are happy for for a crisis to have clicks oh the media have been awful absolutely awful it's it's complete scaremongering about this and that it's the worst thing ever and you know it's Bad-ish. It's not. It's not that terrible. But even my point isn't really that it, whether it's bad, how terrible it is, or whether it's the worst disaster ever. The more important thing is, um, uh, how do you respond to that? Bad things happen in life. How do you respond to that? Do you accept that they happen and move on, or do you uh, fight against it? I mean, what's the serenity prayer? Uh, Lord, grant me the the courage to um, uh, what what is it? Courage to make a difference. The um, uh, the uh, serenity to accept that that which I can change. The serenity to accept that which I cannot change, and the wisdom to know the difference between the two. Mm. COVID was something we couldn't change. The, not if nothing. The only thing that's made any difference in COVID deaths is the vaccines. That was the only thing we really needed to be working on was developing a vaccine and getting it out as quickly as possible. Uh, the rest of it, it's like getting dumped by your boyfriend or girlfriend, and then you keep going over to, to her house every day to stalk her, to try to get her to take you back. It's not doing you any good. Just forget about it and move on. Uh, this, was just, um, this was just a bad thing that happened, and we needed to be wise enough to understand what we could change and what we couldn't change, and, um, and we were not. We thought or pretended that, that shutting schools and ordering everybody to stay at home for two months or more 
and closing restaurants and bars and ordering people not to go to health clubs and ordering them not to go to church, that that was going to make a difference. And it didn't make any difference except to increase suicides and depression. Yeah. And I mean, it's, I guess a lot of these measures um, were, were able to be put in place because people were scared, understandably. Um, yeah. and, and it feels it's like a very, it's a very human sort of reaction, especially in the 21st century to believe that we can sort of just like wave our hands and science will solve the problem. Yeah. Um, yeah. We, we overstate our power, our powers. And, and we're not, we're not very good at accepting. Um, I read a bunch of self-help books and spiritual books, and it's just a problem with human beings that we don't accept reality uh, mm-hmm. and we fight against it instead of accepting it. Yeah. I mean, I guess it's, it makes you feel safer in a way to think that say come this disease or uh, or virus or whatever it is that we are smart enough as human beings to have these little wonderful things that just prevent us from getting sick that we're so smart that we've created these tiny little things that can be yeah yeah the evolution and and nature that's been trying to kill us incessantly for as long as we've existed (laughs) yeah yeah and the, the which actually our immune systems work pretty well and we kind of don't i think we we don't trust that exactly because we don't understand how they work so we'd rather rely on masks because we can kind of understand that idea it's you can't see through it virus must not be able to pass through it so that'll protect us instead of just trusting that we've evolved nature has given us the immune systems to fight off diseases and to to keep us healthy I mean, you think about it, it kind of is a miracle that we're assaulted by all these germs for our lives. And most of us manage to make it to, you know, make it to a full life anyway. Um, uh, and, um, you know, we learn to walk. We don't exactly understand how, how to, uh, how we do that. And if we tried to, if we tried to teach our kids how to walk, no, no, put the right foot in front of the left. You're doing this all wrong. <laughs> you know, it wouldn't work so well. Yeah, I mean, yeah, human humans are well, just nature generally is 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 incredible. Like the the balance that we live in, and and how something so something that seems so tiny and insignificant, this one thing that is one out of millions or billions of different pathogens and viruses that exist all around us. This is the one that disrupted the world completely. It just takes that little tiny thing, and then all of a sudden this can throw the world out of balance essentially. Yeah. It's, yeah. Uh, it's quite scary as well at the same time. And I, I guess that's, that's probably the reason that people like Bill Gates have been going on about this for a long time. Cause they're aware of, of how, you know, uh, how in the balance the whole thing is and that, that they're kind of terrified of, of something like this, throwing the balance out of, or throwing the balance off kilter. And then we're thrown into chaos like this where, you know, people, people died. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. So, um, what do you think um, the the biggest consequence that we're we're not seeing here is? Because do you think children are the are the biggest call or the biggest are, have suffered the most in this situation? And and do you think it's possible for the kids to you know be as as people have said be resilient? Maybe have have dealt with this and perhaps become stronger or at least some of them become 
you know, more independent? Or like, is there is there some sort of silver lining to be drawn? I there? don't really think there's a. I don't see a silver lining for kids in this. Uh, yes, I think they've they've hurt the most. I think everybody's been hurt uh, by this, including the elderly, um, who were the group we were trying to benefit. Um, but uh, the children. No, being kept out of school for a year, it, it hurts their educational development, hurts even more their social development, I think. And and they've been, we're, we're so, we've so scaremongered everybody, and including the children. Um, I mean, I'm sure they're under the impression, I'm sure most people are under the impression that, that uh, this is, is quite deadly for children, certainly deadlier than the flu. And in reality, it's much less deadly than the flu for children. Um, uh, so then they've been taught not to, you know, not to get within within uh, three feet or six feet, a meter or so of other people, I guess. Uh, and not to shake hands and not to hug. I, I that that's one of the worst things for me is I'm, I'm really not that big a hugger. I am a big handshaker, but that we just have given up handshakes and hugs. And I think it's a catastrophe. I think it's terrible. And we're teaching people to be not just children, but adults too, to be afraid of being near other human beings and touching other human beings. And touch is, touch is so important to us. Um, and so I, I especially do worry about the children being messed up from being taught that handshakes and hugs are things you shouldn't do and then maybe next year i don't know we're next year we're supposed to say okay now you can shake hands and hugs that's just going to confuse them mm -hmm. what do you think that does to their do you think it's something that, that is going to be permanently there for children or for adults um do you think it's something we kind of unlearn that that fear of other people yeah i suppose you can to an extent i mean we need or for that to happen, though, I think we need to reach a consensus that this was a mistake. Uh, if if people are still saying, no, this was the right thing to do and we had to do it, then it follows that you shouldn't shake hands and hug with people uh, to get not get the flu if, if, if um, we're not worried about COVID anymore. Um, uh, yeah, so... Um, uh, no, I don't see. I don't see it. Uh, I don't see a silver lining to this. I guess. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I hope we can. I hope we can um, sort of get past these things. Uh, but then, yeah, the 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 last thing that I'd, I'd mentioned we wanted to discuss was um, this this drug that's being touted um, by quite a lot of people who I uh, have a lot of respect for intellectually. They seem very well considered, and they're being told that they can't even mention the drug yeah. that we're not going to say. I will put it in the description below for everyone to check out, but we're not going to say it so that yeah. YouTube can't pull the video. Um, but it begins with I. And essentially it's being put forward as um, a, a really fantastic way for treating early symptoms of, of COVID. And, and it like helps basically to, to cut it off at, at the source. But like there's there's other studies about its efficacy later in it, later in the, in the cycle of the virus or... Um, as like for long COVID, but like there's the really, really impressive stuff is when it's taken early on when you first test positive or, or have symptoms 
and they've got like 60 trials, um, 31 randomized control trials, um, with 14 prophylaxis trials showing an 85% improvement in outcomes. They're, I mean, I will link the, 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 the stuff that I'm uh, talking about below, but people are being censored and, and stopped, removed from, from LinkedIn, from YouTube, from Twitter, for mentioning like what could be a fantastic treatment. And it yeah. sort of goes back to what we talked about earlier. Um, what have you made of this this whole thing where the, the the accepted narrative is set and then not changed based on new data? Yeah, um, it's I'm I'm not an expert on that drug, but um, but I have experienced the censorship and the yes, it's a big problem. I. I I, I think it's a huge problem, uh, the censorship, and I think that's the correct word for what's going on here. And it's conducted by um, largely the big tech companies of Google, Facebook, and, and Amazon. Um, also, to a lesser extent, mainstream media, uh, newspapers and, and uh, TV and, and TV media. Um, but yeah, that's ridiculous that that cannot be discussed. It's scientific literature. And I don't know if you heard about this story, but in the United States, there was a hearing, a congressional hearing on this drug. C-SPAN, the organization that, that televises, tapes and televises congressional hearings and airs them on television here as a public service. Uh, they posted the video of a congressional of this congressional hearing discussing this drug with you know between Congress people and and uh, and physicians experts on on treating COVID. YouTube pulled the video, pulled the video of a U.S. congressional hearing and a C-SPAN video. It's absolutely shocking that they would have the hubris to do that, and they got away with it. Uh, I don't know why they want to censor that stuff. Um, we've been censored as an organization, my organization, COVID, covidsanity.org. We uh, are dedicated to providing accurate factual information about the benefits and harms of, of COVID, as we've discussed, of the lockdown strategy, I should say, as we've discussed here. Um, and for instance, we tried. We tried to ads. Uh, our ads were rejected by Google and Facebook. Uh, and um, advertising for my book, Amazon allows us to sell my book. I cannot advertise it on Amazon. Uh, um, it's uh, so yeah. I think this is this is ridiculous. We should have free exchange of information. I don't really think anybody should be censored on anything. Uh, just put it all out there. We can be adults about this and trust ourselves to sort through the fact and the fiction and, and figure it out for ourselves. I do not want uh, uh, Jeff Bezos and Mark Zuckerberg deciding for me what I'm entitled to hear and what's true and what's false. Mm. Yeah, I mean, just to be clear, I, I'm not even saying that the drug works. Um, I don't know. I haven't taken it. I haven't talked to my doctor about it. What, what concerns me is when there's doctors attempting to discuss treatment of a disease that has stopped the world yeah. and they are being told that that's not allowed because uh, a handful of billionaires in Silicon Valley, for whatever reason, have decided that you're not allowed to suggest or mention this. And it's terrifying. Like, because it's terrifying. It's and, terrifying. It's, and, it's, yeah. um, it's not, 
uh, along, sort of along the same lines, uh, President Trump uh, suggested uh, hydroxychloroquine might work early in this um, in this pandemic, and that became totally politicized. And it's just like because Trump said it might work, everybody on the left said, "Well, he's an idiot. He's wrong about everything else. He's got to be wrong about this." So it's a lie, you know. Even a blind squirrel finds a nut. It's possible he's right about it. It's it's a scientific question. Doesn't have shouldn't have anything to do with politics. Um, and the data on that actually, I think, was there was some data that the drug worked. Um, and uh, the media actually then, I'm still I'm still not sure about. It. it never made sense to me. It should work for everybody, but I thought there was probably a subset of patients that it could work for. But anyway, the data is is actually both ways on whether that works or not. But the media um, trumpeted, for instance, this one paper that came out in, I believe, the Journal of the American Medical Association uh, that claimed to have a database of 100,000 people in China or something that conclusively proved that this drug was harmful. Hmm. Uh, the, so this was front page news, absolute proof. Uh, hydroxychloroquine doesn't work. A couple of weeks later, it turns out it was entirely fraudulent. There was no such database, no data. The entire paper was a fraud. Uh, um, but that didn't, you know, the news was out there and it was hardly retracted. And a month later, a couple months later, a very small, very poor quality study came out that also concluded that hydroxychloroquine didn't work. And then that was trumpeted by the newspapers and the medical journals as, okay, the debate's over now. We know it doesn't work. Even though this study was smaller and frankly of lower quality than some of the studies that said it did work. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, like so trying to get into scientific literature is, is incredibly difficult and, and, and looking at individual studies is, is a really bad idea for trying to formulate policy. Uh, but the fact that the, the problem here, again, that I want to reiterate is that it's, as you said, the hubris of, of YouTube and, and, and Twitter and Facebook and Google and all these companies to decide that they are now the arbiters of fact. That is the, that is the scariest thing because no one elected them yeah. and, and they have no allegiances to anyone except themselves and their shareholders. And whatever they decide kind of goes. And that is, yeah, a, a scary route to be, to be it's going very, down. It's very scary. I think that may be, that, that's the most important thing that we should probably address coming out of this, I think, is, is correcting that. Uh, I, I, and both liberals and conservatives should, I would think, agree that censorship's a bad thing and that we can make up our own minds on this stuff. Yeah, yeah. I mean, do, why do you think these agencies and, and media outlets and stuff don't ever suffer reputational consequences for being repeatedly wrong and, and presenting fraudulent information as true? Because if some blogger on the internet or some podcaster like myself makes one mistake, yeah. um, it, then, then we're labeled as conspiracy theorist, misinformation for life. Like, yep, yep. You get the big, you get the brand. And, uh, yeah, people like I'm not saying I get things right very often. There's but there's other there's <laughs> other podcasters and 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 you know independent journalists who get things right a lot of the time and and yet they are not held in the same regard as the these 
institutions that consistently and repeatedly get things wrong. Like there's no consequences there. Well, why do you think that is? I don't know. It's a good question. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, the press, I haven't followed it too closely, but uh, it was a, it was a labeled conspiracy theory at the beginning that this was and false that this was came out of a Chinese lab and was possibly an engineered virus. And now that's the, cons I don't know about the engineered part, but the idea that came out of the Chinese lab is probably true and is the consensus opinion. Mm -hmm. um, and, and may well have been engineered in that Chinese yeah. lab. Uh, I mean, just it took John Stewart to, to to rant very crazily about it on on Stephen Colbert before we were allowed to consider it as plausible again. Oh and yeah, the people who had been saying it for a whole year had yeah. been just labelled as as crazy and written off, their reputations tarnished. Yeah, um, and yeah, for 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 being right, and the people for who being tarnished right, yeah, their yeah, reputation. We, we, we've we've no got contact. a problem with. It goes beyond COVID. We've had, you know, this cancel culture of your, you say something that offends somebody, whether you're right or wrong, or, or oftentimes it's just, there's no right or wrong. It's just different opinions about something, but you're not allowed to have certain opinions. And if you have them, you know, if you have an objectionable opinion or say something wrong, we're going to hound you and get you, try to get you fired from your job and try to guarantee nobody will air you if you're an entertainer again or employ you again that's yeah that's that's a big problem for uh for the idea of democracy and um and a search for the truth yeah yeah um so before we finish um who would you like to like give a plug for your book um for your your organization your site whatever um yeah thank you people uh so the organization is covid sanity uh and our website is covid-sanity.org uh, and our mission is to provide accurate factual information about the benefits and harms of, of um, the lockdown strategy to COVID. Uh, and again, the bottom line is the harms vastly exceed the benefits. It's, it's not close and it's not debatable. Uh, and, uh, and my book is COVID Lockdown Insanity uh, and uh, spreads, kind of, it's kind of the same message. I dive into the science. There's, there's a lot of references documenting uh, the facts. I like playing with numbers and I play with the numbers in the book as I did a little bit today to um, calculate how many COVID deaths we might have prevented, how long they would have lived, how many people were thrown into depression, how many people are thrown into suicide and drug overdose deaths and how that compares. Um, and um, Anyway, I think it's. Uh, I think uh, people would enjoy reading it. It's a it's a lively, readable book, despite being also scientific, or maybe because being scientific and well well documented. Well, um, yeah, I will put the links for everything that we've discussed. Um, your book, your website um, for SquareX, and all your stuff in the description below for for people who want to check it out. Uh, so, uh, yeah, Dr. McTavish, uh, thank you very much. It's, it's been a pleasure to talk to you. Thank you, Josh. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for making it all the way to the end of the podcast. Don't forget our sponsor, ExpressVPN, and my book, Brexit, The Establishment Civil War, can both be found in the links in the description below. And also, please like, share, and subscribe to this podcast. It's the best way to help us grow. Until next time, thanks for listening. The animal... 
dragged a child around its enclosure. The child had fallen into that enclosure. Officials are now defending their actions. ABC's Alex. A few things I am not. I'm not a cat. I am not an institutional investor, nor am I a hedge fund. There's no panic selling. These people, you know, they may have bought at $4, sat through $400, went back to 40, went to 350, back down to 110, and they have not sold. All they've done is bought more. And there's no answer for that. There's no, they, they, you know, it, it is like art of war mastery by a bunch of idiots who should know better. And they're just, they're just like, I'm not fucking leaving. Fly me to the moon, let me play among the stars. Let me see what spring is like on Jupiter and Mars. What's been happening on Reddit and in social media and in the marketplace has never been seen before. Uh, the short 70, 60, 80% of a company, let alone 140%, I think a lot of people universally believe something is wrong there. They're powerful, they want to stock higher. It's child's play. Why ever sell into the maw of Wall Street? Yeah, Reddit bets. Why? 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 But everyone's wrong. It's like the big short again. Or more like the big short squeeze this time, right? So here we got the fox guarding the hen house. And one of the hens is complaining. The fox is out to kill us. And the farmer says, I'm sorry, the fox is in charge of the hen house. Whenever there is not billions, but like trillions of dollars involved in something, it I, I argue that nothing is off the table. The way they have absolutely cheated, stolen, robbed everyday people so all our hedge fund billionaire friends can get out and not get killed is one of the most remarkable, illegal, shocking robberies in the history of, in plain sight. Super Stonk and the other communities that have emerged are a hive mind, the likes of which we have never seen before. It's madness and brilliance, insanity and genius all rolled into one. It's very possible that Citadel will be gone in a few months. And, and not just Citadel, but the entire financial system has the potential to come crashing down. These crooks continue to gamble recklessly with the world economy, and this could be the moment that they finally get their justice. You've got maybe 10 million people doing this who now own you know probably more than 100 million shares and eventually you know they might own everything